0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. Julie asked me to answer a question. She said, how do we use our resources to live out the kingdom of God and build a movement of Jesus followers that has the capacity to do all that we do? So that's kind of a big question, because you guys do do a lot. Circle of Hope does a lot. Your Circle of Hope, I don't know if you knew that, your Circle of Hope. And so I broke it down into kind of three more basic questions um, that I hope this will somehow answer. Um, What is the kingdom of God? How do we live in it? And what do we do when we're living in it? Um, So let's start with the first one. What is the kingdom of God? I looked at the kingdom of God on Bible Gateway, and this story came up. Would someone read that to me, or to us, rather? See? It's right there. <laughs> A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps, or gets up, the seed <laughs> drops and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces, produces grain, produces stalk, and then As soon the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest is come. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds in earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches of the birds in its shade. Thanks, Phil. As far as an answer to that exact question goes, um, that probably seems a little squishy. I think that Jesus assumed his audience uh, would actually take it more literally, this kingdom that he was talking about, than we give them credit for. The kingdom of God was the kingdom where God reigned. This was the ancient dream of the Israelites, that they would live according to the will of God without the need for a human king to lead them. For most of their ancient history, they didn't have a king. It wasn't until, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, it wasn't until first Samuel that the Israelites even get a king. They'd been sort of ruled by judges or really just followed Moses around or some of the descendants that Moses had appointed to lead them. They didn't have a quote unquote king. Uh, So they get one in Saul, and you can read the rest of the Old Testament to find out more. Spoilers, they are human men, so there is a lot of fighting, betrayal, and sex. Uh, Game of Thrones is actually pretty derivative if you've read your Bible. (laughs) By the time of Jesus, the Jewish people are in a different political predicament. They're ruled by Herod or one of his descendants, Um, And he's just a puppet king of Rome, kind of ruling out of a Greekified part of Palestine. They have a king, but they are not keen on him. But they do understand kingdoms. And so when they hear the words kingdom of God, it's probably not that abstract. It's a hoped-for concrete reality in which the peace and justice of God rule the earth. In Jesus' parable... He isn't talking about how that justice and peace will be manifested, but he is talking about how it grows. One small seed sprouts up and grows. It is mysterious, but it's real. It does require a sower and a gardener. So there is work to be done to ensure that the kingdom of God is allowed to flourish. You can see the kingdom of God being worked out after the resurrection in the book of Acts. I'm flipping my page too soon. This is where the story of Pentecost comes from. A small group of people hold up in a cramped room, receive the Holy Spirit in wind and fire, and then they explode out into the world around them, speaking in other languages where everyone can see, being accused of being drunk, but being earnest. People hear the good news and receive it, the story from the Bible ends with the line about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Sounds a little bit like the parable of the mustard seed. Small and dark, explosive and huge, and ready to shelter. This sort of evangelism is one way that the kingdom of God is built. When people hear and accept the gospel, the invisible border of the kingdom expands to include them. But there is another story in Acts that to me captures it what it means to build the practical kingdom of God better. Can someone read this to us? In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Greek Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, "It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables." Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who you know among you, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Thanks, Robbie. I like this story a lot. Maybe because there is a proposal that pleases everyone. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to make just one dinner? <laughs> the problem described in the story here, the story of the Greek widows and the Hebraic, like sort of bumping heads on racial, uh, racial lines, is anticipated in the story of Pentecost. There were people from all over the world that heard the disciples declaring the good news of Jesus' resurrection. But what did it mean to live according to this good news? How would these people actually live according to that gospel? Could they actually share their lives? It could look a little bit like the disciples don't, just don't want to deal with the problem that these people are having. They want to concern themselves with the ministry of the word, and that's a good thing. But I think that there's something more happening. They're trying to build something that lasts. They're not interested in just solving the problem for the widows. They're interested in caring for the widows as whole people and in sustaining the kingdom that cares for those widows as whole people. And so they come up with a solution that doesn't involve triangulating through the disciples to solve all the problems. They actually get the people together and say, "Okay, we have a problem. And I think that you are all capable of solving it. Julie doesn't have to solve all of our problems. You know, we have an excites team to help us with that. Julie does solve most of our problems, though. So. <laughs> this solution requires that people relate to one another directly. They establish a way for people to meet each other's needs. Rather than establishing a law, they establish this new boundaryless, society that actually cares about the people that are involved in it. It's pretty remarkable. I think about this story often. I read it once a week as I'm reporting on what the Capacity Core has worked on. It's actually in the advancing. So if you want to know why the Capacity Core exists, your church is literally organized around the book of Acts. This story has reality in how we work out all of our stuff together. So I'm I'm on the part of the Capacity Core team, which is part of the leadership team, which is a group of about 30 or so people who dedicate themselves to helping lead the church. It's one of the ways we try to organize ourselves around the pattern of the church in acts. Uh, More on that in our sharing proverbs. So these are our proverbs around sharing, and sharing is sort of a generic title. We use it as a stand-in for money because we understand that there are multiple resources that people have to share with us. We're actually more interested in the sharing of lives than in any one of those specific categories. And so I figured I'd read some of these to you because this is one of the ways that we build the kingdom, by sharing. All our money belongs to God. The percentage we share in the common fund reflects our mutual commitment to be an authentic church. You're the church. Church is not a building or anything else, it's just the people. Minimally, members of our covenant share in our Sunday meeting times, participate in a cell, express themselves in service, and contribute to our common fund. So there's a bunch of stuff you could do. I already told Julie I would help move some of the people's other people's stuff. And I regularly contribute to the common fund. So there's this this total vision for what we're going for. And it's better to live this way, just by the by. As part of our obligation to mutuality, to mutually share resources with the poor and lost, we invest at least 20% of our common fund income in causes beyond our basic common needs. Your church tithes. So the money that you share, we also share beyond the boundaries of this specific community. I have a diagram that shows a little bit of that later. We are called to owe nothing to anyone but love We are determined not to be debt slaves and determined to share with abandon and fully participate in the imagination and responsibility of partnership in Christ. I think that that one is self-explanatory. Basically, banks are evil. (laughs) It's not necessarily true. It's just saying that we want to be free to actually act. If you want a concrete example of that, as we're trying to buy our building, we're leveraging our investment in a previous building. So we own a building on Frankfurt Avenue that is worth tons of money, thanks to all the hipsters that have poured into our city <laughs> over the past decade. And so we're going to use that money to go and buy another church, or another church building rather. I'm already contradicting myself. You can see the theological link between these Proverbs and the story from Acts. I don't think it's really that deep. So how are we as Circle of Hope actually doing with these proverbs, which are rooted in the biblical narrative of being the people of God? How do we actually live that out day to day? Um, so I'm gonna tell you some stories and put some numbers up that talk about that. One of the big ways um, is our sharing. In 2018, Circle of Hope as a whole shared 450 dollars and 98 cents. That's a lot of money. So good job, everybody. Ridge Ave alone shared $104,724.25. So if you go back to that 20%, like we only actually used 80% of that money for what we needed. We gave 20% of it away. So that means that, you know, what's the quick math is 500,000 times 20% or 0.2. So we, already, we gave away like $10,000. As part of uh, this congregation, we just gave away $2,000. And that's not even all the sharing that we did, because it doesn't include everything that's given from the mutuality fund. Huh? Add a zero? Wow, I'm really bad at math. But I know how to use spreadsheets, so that's why I don't do math anymore. You guys are living in the past. In addition to our sharing, Circle transfers money from its good businesses to help fuel our mission. A long time ago, we followed the inspiration to create a thrift store. Circle Thrift now employs 24 people across two locations. We also have two other businesses, Circle Spaces and Circle Kids. Did you know that you own three businesses as a church? These businesses help subsidize our expansive vision for our church. They also help us realize the example of the church in Acts. Our businesses help meet the practical needs of the communities we are a part of and give us flexibility to meet more new people. Providing employment to people who, need, who would otherwise not have a job is pretty practical. Taking care of people's kids? Eminently practical. Practical. Providing a venue for turn-up to bail-out or a high school photography show makes doing these things easier. The kingdom of God expands when we serve others in the name of Jesus, no matter how we serve them. I have a practical example. Not long ago, I participated in a cleanup along Germantown Avenue. A guy stopped on his way home from Save-A-Lot with his daughter and asked how he could get connected with the work that we were doing. I told him I was part of Circle of Hope and that the cleanup had been organized by a CDC that existed just two blocks up Germantown. He said, oh, I know all about Circle of Hope. You all have those thrift stores, right? That's pretty great. (laughs) I mean, so these businesses give us a public face, and we created them to serve Jesus, and they do good work. All right. So this is kind of, at this point, I wanted to show you how money flows in our system. This is a really basic picture. If you were at the budget meeting, at the turn of the year, you've seen it before, Rebecca's familiar. (laughs) This picture is a helpful way to see just how money flows in and out of our system. It's a pretty basic picture, but we're actually a pretty simple organization. Julie, it's not hot, I'm just nervous. It is also hot. We sustain ourselves primarily through sharing. Of that sharing, we give a substantial amount away. That's the Mutuality Fund Transfer 10%, MCC Donation 2.5, Partnering Gift Transfer 2.5. Can you tell us what the Mutuality Fund and MCC is? I think I have that, well, I'll tell you anyway. Right here. Uh, So the Mutuality Fund is a big... um, Designated fund of money that we actually help people out of. And I've got a whole slide dedicated to it later. We actually, blah, 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 blah. As a group, we are committed to tithing to the kingdom of God. This means we give money internationally, primarily through the Mennonite Central Committee and locally through our mutuality fund. So the Mennonite Central Committee, to get more specific, um, is uh, an international body of Mennonites, which we are sort of connected to as part of the Brethren in Christ because when everyone kind of came over from Germany, they all established a church. And so now there's all these churches spread out that are kind of connected through as uh, just an ideological umbrella as Mennonites. So they're your peace church brethren. You would like them if you ran into them. They run the gamut from those people in suspenders on scooters to me, you know? (laughs) All right. So the next is actually the Mutuality Fund. Who doesn't like pie charts? These are actually really great. If you hover over these in the report that Bethany sends out, they actually, it breaks it down for you. It's really cool. That's why I don't do math. One of the primary ways we meet the everyday needs of people, like in the story from Acts, is the Mutuality Fund. This picture shows you how we have shared with people so far just this year. We help pay medical bills, rent, and buy people food. Another thing that we do with the mutuality fund is help subsidize mental health care for people that need it. So we we pay a great deal out to um, circle counseling. We actually have a whole counseling of uh, of our church that helps meet those kind of needs in their community. And it's means tested, so if you can't necessarily afford mental health care, the mutuality fund will help pay for it. One of the things we spend money on is actually staying small and multiplying. This is a little more nitty gritty. That might not make a lot of sense, but we spend money according to how we think we are called to be and not exclusively on what would be the safest bet financially. We don't just grow a giant church, pool all of our money, and then buy a building big enough to fit everyone. You've probably heard someone say, welcome to Circle of Hope at Ridge Ave. We're part of a church of four congregations meeting around this time time, throughout the region and throughout the week in cells. We're a pretty big organization. It probably would have been safer to be a singular, massive organization. I'd be willing to wager that no matter how big the building we would need to have everyone in one spot, it would be cheaper to maintain its one roof heating, electrical, internet, air conditioning, and plumbing systems than it is to do it in four separate ones. But that wouldn't look a whole lot like the mustard seed. It might seem contradictory since the parable talks about how big the mustard plant is to emphasize the smallness of the seed. But the seed is how the sheltering plant gets started. And even though it's nice to have a mustard plant in your garden, the mustard bush doesn't care about your garden. If it can be said to care about anything, it clearly cares about making more mustard seeds and more mustard plants. That's a little bit more like the kingdom of God. All right. So I'm going to ask the question again, how we use our resources to live out the kingdom of God and build a movement of Jesus followers that has the capacity to do all that we do we remain person to person. We are focused on being sowers of the word, just like the Holy Spirit did at Pentecost. Our primary resource for evangelism is our own lives and how we are integrated into the kingdom of God, not a program. We care for each other practically. You might not think you have much of a story to tell about your faith, but you do. Because you're connected to a community that is fighting the opioid crisis, employing people, sharing its resources, and being present in its local communities. You're a part of that. If this is your first time at the meeting, welcome to the team. We lead as a team. Circle goes out of its way to include people in decision making. You've probably been invited to a stakeholders meeting by Julie. You might have wondered if you even were a stakeholder or what that might mean. That's mostly up to you. If you want to do something, chances are there will be an opportunity for you to do it in Circle of Hope. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.